Welcome to Lighthouse Community Church Online. We are so thankful that you chose to tune in to watch online or listen via podcast. This series is titled New, a compelling, practical, and inspiring letter to you and the Church of the Colossians. As you tune in, may we encourage you to do a couple of things that will help you be the new person God has intended you to be. As you engage with the message, choose to be attentive, take notes, and share with us anything God impresses on your heart. Let us know if there is a next step that we can help you walk into. You don't have to go it alone. And stay engaged by texting the word CONNECT to 954-923-8660. You will be kept in the know about upcoming events and important news. How about you, but I, 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 I still get anxious going to unfamiliar places. Are you like that? Some of you here today, welcome guests, and you're coming in. It's unfamiliar to you, and there's some anxiety that stirs in you. And you're thinking, uh, yes, I'm not sure what to expect. I don't know. Do I know anybody there? And if you know somebody, it makes you more comfortable. Sometimes I'll meet people out in the grocery store in the market and invite them and if they come and they know I'm here then it gives comfort because we somehow have established they at least know somebody we were going on our first mission trip to Guatemala Pastor Bob and it was new didn't know never been to Guatemala didn't know what to expect it's several hours from the main city and a little anxiety in me I didn't confess that to anybody I'm just confessing it now Right? And I know I wasn't alone because there were people at least more humble than I were confessing it. And um, Pastor Bob gave us this assurance. He said, I, I, he was talking about the trip and we had some young kids coming and their parents were concerned, like, is it safe? And they asked the questions a parent should ask, questions I was asking but was afraid to. And, and he said, there's no need to worry about it because we have this and we have that and it's all set and it's very safe we have a home there it's don't worry and he said but one more thing uh, we we've got a guy named David and he's going to be on the trip with us and I'm thinking big deal got it we got a guy David here too you know I'm not I wouldn't be comforted if our David went with you over there and, and, and he said no but this David he's a He's a former special forces in Guatemala. All right, we're doing better. And, uh, and, he, and then he went in to explain the training that special forces, he goes, you, you actually have to be tortured in order to pass special forces in Guatemala. It's rigorous training, most don't make it. But you get there, you are the elite and you are the best. He said, and David's gonna be with us the whole trip. I said, well, I'm feeling a lot better. The parents were a lot better because I tell them, they say me, listen, I'm worried about my kid. I said, don't worry, we got David with us. David's there. And I'd go through the whole story that Pastor Bob gave us, probably with a bit more enthusiasm and maybe even some embellishment, I'll confess. And we got to the country. Um, there he was, and he drove us, and he just knew every place. He knew the streets. He knew where to go and where not to go, and and, and, but still, he hadn't proven his credibility completely yet. And we were at a, a store on the way from Guatemala City into San Andres. And, 
and, and we stop, and there was a, a, those stores, a lot of guys carry automatic weapons. They have private guards, and they're there, and they have the automatics. And there was a young guy, soldier, like standing there like this, and he had a red beret on, and Pastor Bob kind of whispered over to me, goes, you know that, that's the special forces beret. I said, oh, cool. And I, and, but then I saw David, our guy, walking over to that guy in alpha mode. You know what alpha looks like? He walks in alpha mode to the guy, and I saw this, the alpha stance, which is this, looking down at the guy, because David's a big guy, looking down at him, and all I could see was our, our guy like this who was so proud and wearing his red beret doing this, takes his hat off and puts it down. Because he didn't earn that. Probably bought it somewhere, found it somewhere. He, he didn't qualify, but I looked at our guy, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, the, this guy's got a, he's the guard, he's got an automatic weapon. Our David didn't have any weapons. And yet by his authority and who he was, had this guy melting. I think on that, and through the rest of the trip, I, I don't know why. I know my hope is in the Lord. I trust him. I do, sincerely. But I have to admit that I looked around a bit, and I thought I wanted to see David. Is, da is da da David here? <laughs> Sometimes you go to some rough little barrios, you know? And if I see my David there, I'm like, you know, things are better with David on board. Let me just put it that way. And this guy, this other David, that many of you know his name, he became a king, but before he was a king, he was just a shepherd boy. He, he writes this incredible narrative of God's character, inspired by God's Holy Spirit himself, about who his God is and who he belongs to. And his talks and he's written from his experience with God out in the desert as a, as a sheep tender, a herder, a lowly job to say the least, young boy, probably in his teens, the experience of having slayed a bear and slayed a lion, knowing that it wasn't his strength, but because he had his God with him, it made everything good. David had his God. He said, the Lord has delivered me from the paws of a lion and from the paws of a bear. And so he will deliver me from this Philistine giant. He had that kind of confidence. And so that's who's writing this. And this is our new series called Meet Your Shepherd. I would like you to meet your shepherd. It's a weird metaphor. Before we go into that, I'd like us to read it together because I think at the end of this series, you will have memorized this. You won't have to work at it. You will have memorized it, and it will be the best thing you've ever memorized. It is a source of comfort for me that when I am in my fear and I am wondering who he is, if when I am in doubt, that I will go through and I will open the 23rd Psalm and read as my grandmother did herself. I will read this as my place of comfort. So are you ready? Would you all stand with me, please? This will be awkward at first, but we'll do this every week, and we'll eventually get it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well done. You all can sit. Well done. Many of you know that. Some of you have already memorized it. We're going to take it through and see it. The first verse is, we're going to have to stay there because everything that came after verse 1 is meaningless until you've got verse 1. It sets the whole thing all the way down. It it just doesn't make sense if you eliminate verse 1. And so you have to start there. Do you know that God has a name? You got a name, but... His name is certainly different than our name, right? Your name is what? You got a, you're a John and you're a Bill and you're a Maria. You're, you got a name, but God's got a name. And we, we learn that, that the God has a name. Moses asked God, he says, uh, when God came to him in the glory, his glory burned like a fire in a bush. And he went to him and he says, they're, they're going to ask me your name. What should I tell them is your name? And God replied with his name. So here's God's name. I am who I am. That's a weird name. I am who I name. Theologians have parsed this Hebrew word for years, centuries, trying to figure it out. And let me tell you, if you could figure this out, then we don't need God because he's infinite and you're finite. They can study all they want. We will not understand the depth and the breadth of his name until we are finally with him. But he gave a name. He said, say this to the people. I am, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So verse 1 is, the Lord, the Lord is, the Lord is. Say that with me, the Lord is. One more time, the Lord is. He gives his name. David writes his name. It was not just a simple thing in Judaism to just, say that name and to write that name. It had great significance. The name is Yahweh. Yahweh was a name, before you said it, you would go and wash first. As a matter of fact, to this day, it's not used in Orthodox circles. You would not name this name. You would use something instead, like Adonai. The name carried weight. It had a meaning to it. There was significance to who he is that 
he, he's, he's not dependent on people. He existed before anything existed. He is not created. He creates. He is who he is. All, everything is linked to him. Scripture says he holds all things together. Everything is from him and through him and to him in all the universe. I am who I am. Yahweh. When the scribes wrote the name carefully, carefully, following the rules of writing the manuscript from scriptures, they, they would write it down. And when they got to this name, they would stop before they wrote it. And they would wash their hands carefully in their face. And they would be clean before God. They were dressed in formal dress. And they would take their pen and they would wipe it down and sanitize it so it was clean. And then they would say his name as they wrote it, Yahweh. And they got to the name again. And they would stop. And they would wash their hands and wash and purify themselves and then clean their pen and write it again, Yahweh. They had a reverence for the name. Popular opinion is that Jesus somehow is lesser than that. There were people that will believe that, well, I know there's a God in heaven, a Yahweh, but, but I, I don't know about the Jesus. Who, who is he? He's, we like to make him a God of our own understanding and our own image, actually. But Jesus testified that he is not only God in human body, but he came to earth and that he is one and the same with the Father. He said it this way. He said, why do you then accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do you not believe me unless I do the works of my father? But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. And he says later that the father and I are one. Who has ever seen me has seen the Yahweh. And it's all because of the name that he carries. We have a new king in the monarchy in Great Britain, don't we? King Charles III. He's a king not because he was the best choice. He wasn't elected to office. It's because of the name that he carries. He, he is a, a Mountbatten Windsor. And if you're a Mountbatten Windsor, that name carries authority. He, he, he got there because of who he's associated with. He's in the family. Because he's in the family, he became king. And after him will be Prince William, and they're already going to William's uh, child, his oldest son, and they're already grooming him at age five to be the next king because of his name. Jesus said, Father and I are one. You have seen the Father, has seen me. You have seen Yahweh. Jesus himself testified. He was remained silent before Pilate, and Pilate asked Jesus, and he decided to talk. He said, Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you, 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 you have said it. You've said it. Yeah, I am. You will one day see Yahweh as the king of kings. You can reduce Jesus to as low as you want. You can reduce him to whatever character that you want. But one day we will see him as David did, that he will be Yahweh. No matter your understanding. This is what we see in Revelation. You will see him like this, Revelation tells us in the end day. Every person will see this. Everyone sitting here, everyone watching. 
His eyes were like flames of fire, and his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them in an iron, with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath, fierce wrath of God the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh were written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So Charles III was installed as king of England. He's recognized as the monarchy king in 56 countries. He is the ruling monarchy in 14 countries, plus Great Britain. When you meet him now, you will address him as your royal highness, sir, your majesty, sir. You will maybe shake his hand, but you will not hug him. You will not fist bump him. You will not give him a high five. If you're sitting at a table with him, you will not eat until he eats first. Every year, the British Prime Minister will come to Buckingham Palace and have to give him a full report of the agenda for the coming year and what's happened in the past and give him a status report. He has a private physician, as you would expect. He has a chef, he has a valet, he has a chauffeur, he has a secretary. The king of England does not need to carry a driver's license or to even have one. He does not have one. He can drive any vehicle he wants, and it does not require a license plate. He can never be arrested. He has an ATM machine in his basement, his own private. That would be dangerous in our house, by the way. The king has his own private poet. Every 10 years, the monarchy brings in a new poet, and he writes poetry for the monarchy. He can't be arrested, but one day, King Charles III and every king that existed before and after, before the Yahweh will bow their knees, and they will proclaim him king. And he tells them from the very beginning, Jesus says, from the very beginning, my life did not begin at the birth of a virgin. My life began way before, because I wasn't created, I was from the very beginning. He says it this way in John 5, 8, 58. Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am Yahweh. Jesus has an identity. Someone asked him in his final days. He was under interrogation by the high priest. He remained silent to their frustration. He did not give a defense except when they asked him, who are you? said it this way in Matthew 26. But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And finally Jesus speaks his authority and his identity. And he says, Jesus replied, you have said it. And he doesn't stop there. This is what's going to happen next. You have said it. It's true. And then in the future, and in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. He is Yahweh. Notice Jesus truly, Yahweh, does he demonstrate his authority? I think this is important to have. Sometimes we, can, we get caught up in, in, our, in our Christian trappings and traditions and we just forget who he is. 
and, and we take him down, we raise ourselves up and lower him. But he would say, look, I've demonstrated who I am by the works that I did, so what are those? Jesus defines the laws of science. You do not have a mild, measly God that comes with you. When David said, the Lord is, the Yahweh is, he was referring to this kind of God. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from the land, for a strong storm had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came forward to them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Gravity yields to Yahweh. He invented it. He doesn't need to submit to it. We do. He does not. Jesus' power and authority is not limited to time or space. The centurion came to him and begged Jesus. He said, my servants, my love is, is desperately ill. Do something. Come with me to my house. And Jesus, in abstentia and distance, then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home. Because you believe that has happened and the young servant was healed in the same hour. Psalm 139 says, you cannot hide from him. Wherever you go, he is. He is not limited by time or space. Your Yahweh is wherever you are. There is nothing that escapes him. Infirmity will bow in submission to him. If it doesn't do it on this earth, in this life, in the next life, infirmity must bow. That evening, I'm sorry, that evening many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command and he healed all the sick. And the doctor says, stage four, there's nothing we can do. And yet Yahweh says, I'm sorry. If he doesn't do it on this earth, he'll do it in the next. But there is nothing beyond the scope of Yahweh. Yahweh is above all. It all submits to him. Infirmity bows. Power and authority is not limited by space or time. He defies all the natural laws of science that we submit to. He does not. And nature itself takes its orders from Yahweh. The disciples and this great storm came on the sea. You, most of you know the story. If you don't, let me just give you a brief. It, storm came on the sea. These guys were fishermen. They understood what a storm on the lake could look like. A storm would kill them in their little boats. We're not talking about a cruise ship hip here, a battleship. Or, and even then, those ships are run aground in a storm. A great storm came up, and they believed that they were going to lose their life. Up until this time, those disciples had not met the Yahweh. They had Jesus a little lower where most of us are. They had taken him down. The disciples went in the storm, and they woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! Jesus responded, Why are you afraid? He's sleeping in the stern of the boat and the winds are rustling and and they're just trying to grasp. You can just see it that everything is shaking and and moving and they're they're bending down in the rain. You can hear shh. They're coming down and they, Master, get up. We're going to die. He goes, "Uh, 
man, why, why, why are you guys freaking out? Because he knew he was Yahweh. But they really hadn't gotten that revelation yet. Disciples, it said, listen to this. Jesus asked them, why are you afraid and you have so little faith? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and suddenly there was a great calm. I want you to picture that for a moment. Fishermen who had seen many storms, who had their lives on the edge, who knew probably friends and family that were lost at sea. And yet in this case, they're thinking this, they're to the next victims and Jesus said, looks at it and he just says, will you stop it already? He commands it to stop. But this next thing tells where their heart was. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? Who is he? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is he? I'll ask you the question, who is he? The disciples knew him as one with powers. He could read minds. He drew big crowds. He did amazing things. Did he just have this special anointing from God like an, like an Elijah or an Elisha? And it was momentary, and they're enjoying that. They weren't Yahweh. And yet Jesus did what none of anyone in history has ever done before. He tells all of the worst of nature to stop and to be quiet, and it does. And so they're... They didn't have a Yahweh yet. When your God is Yahweh, you don't have to rush in panic to wake him. It would have looked differently if he was their Yahweh. Just imagine this. They're in the storm and it's shaking and the winds are shh. Rain is pounding down. They're bending down under the stern, getting out of the rain to talk to Jesus. They go, Jesus? Jesus? Um, there's a storm and we would appreciate it if you would just stop it. We know you can do that. Now, if you choose not to, that's okay. But me and my boys, we're going to go over here and pray, okay? And um, if you choose to, would you stop the storm? Because we know you're Yahweh. They didn't have that revelation yet. We have a reconstruct of Jesus. I think Max Lucado said it this way. He says there's a sweet grandpa Jesus. A lot of us have a sweet grace. He's the most popular Jesus, by the way. He's sweet and he's kind, but he's a little old and out of date. You know, he needs to get with it. Then you have the genie in the bottle, Jesus. He's good for winning a ball game for you. You, you, call, him, you call him out of the bottle when, whenever you gotta, need a parking space. and you, you bring him in when you're like in that thing in your life. And, but when you're done with him, you just put him right back in the bottle. You'll, you'll call him when you need him. And the genie in the bottle, Jesus, he, he's somebody that serves at your convenience, but you really don't need him otherwise. You got this. And then there's busy dad, Jesus. Busy dad, Jesus, is, he's, he's got work to do and he travels all the time. Monday through Saturday, he's not home. Except on Sunday, he, he's home on Sunday. And so you've got, you've got them on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, really, your, your life is really in your hands because he's a busy dad, Jesus. We've altered dad over the years. We now have Republican Jesus, and we've got Democrat Jesus, and we've got the social good Jesus. And I will tell you this, mark my words, Jesus will not be reduced to any of those. He will not. He will not. 
And I will tell you this too. People, I'm hearing it all the time and I've said it myself. Well, the world is going to you know where and on you know what. And it's just getting evil and darker out there and all that's true. And we feel this sense of anxiety and fear about all this and we got to fix it. But I want you to meet the Yahweh before whom Satan and all of evil bows before him. It says in his word that he holds all things together. Do not believe for a moment that he does not have all of this together. That all of this is serving his purpose because all bows before him. I love this story. The, Jesus is going in a place called Gardenis, and there's two crazed, violent, demon-possessed men that are so bad that they had to have their own cave. They called it tombs in the translations. And the people wouldn't go near them. They were so dangerous. And Jesus and his boys come up on, the, on their boat, and they, they dock, and these, these demoniacs see them from afar. And, and their possessors speak to God, because they recognize him. They began screaming at him, why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? You can just see it. They're bowing. And so the demons begged, if, if, you, if you please, if you cast us out and, and send us into that herd of pigs. And so the demons begged, you may be freaking out over darkness as it floods. This may be your undoing, but it is not undoing God because they bow before him. They bow before a Yahweh. They will all confess him, some to eternal eternity in the worst of places. Sentenced to death. Has evil held you down? Has evil, do you have a Yahweh God or is he just a sweet, he a sweet grandpa? God for you? Is, is he the busy daddy? Is he a genie in a bottle? Is he your political party, Jesus, and just the, your cause that make you feel comfortable? Or is he Yahweh? Is it you down and you just can't make it anymore? You're, whatever that chronic besetting thing is, it's destroying you, evil and darkness. just want to remind you, when, when you were out on your last run, and you were eating out of garbage cans and begging and cheating and lying to get your next fixed. It was God who came to you. He is the one who has pulled you up and called you out. He rescued you. And that same Yahweh is greater than all the evil that has tormented and tortured your life. He takes it down. You're not in your halfway house by accident. It was not an accident says that I know you and I know your name. He knows you. Yahweh knows you. David knew that. Young seminary student, I've told this story before. It's just worth repeating. When we get so caught up in, in how evil everything is around us and how dark it is, and it is, why God doesn't freak out. Young seminary students in Africa in his home village. He's visiting from school. He's going there. There's a, everyone is petrified to talk about Jesus. No one wants to hear the name. And why are they scared? They're scared because of the witch doctor. He's got all the power, and they don't want to do anything against the one with the power. And he has this, this demonstration of his power outside his hut. 
It's a woven basket, reed woven basket. It's not waterproof. And in the basket, it's filled with water. And he just hangs it up over his hut to show everybody that he's got the power. Now, we know the source of his power, don't we? There's no way a woven basket doesn't leak water. And yet, there it is. And we can see it. He's got the power. And the young seminary student was incensed, and he didn't know what to do. So he said, I- I'm, I- all I can do is pray. But he went by the witch doctor's hut through the night, and he kneeled, and he prayed against the darkness that the light would be let in. He fell asleep, and when he got up in the morning, the village was going crazy. Crowds came around because the basket was empty. See, all of evil, even of the power one that everyone ascribed all the authority, had to bow before Yahweh. By the way, in that village, according to his testimony, he said many, many, many came to give their heart to Christ. They wanted the one with the real power. He is our great source of comfort. He says it this way. He's, by the way, this whole thing of, of shepherds and sheep, it's such a, an odd metaphor. I mean, nobody would use that metaphor except God. Because first of all, being a shepherd's a lowly position. I mean, think about this. From a, there were 12 boys in the house of Jesse. This little David who, who penned this was the youngest of the 12. Why is that? Because it was the worst job. Growing up in my household, the worst job was taking out the trash. Eventually, my older brother graduated from trash, and then the younger brother got the job. He goes, no, I, I did it already. You, it's your turn. You do it. it. Oh, it's your turn, Greg, to rake the leaves. I, I did the rake the leaves thing. Now it's your turn. I, I got other responsibilities. And so in this job, they said, no, I, no, Judy, you, you do it. No, man, I, already, I, I did my time. I paid my dues shepherding the stinky sheep. They don't listen to you. You can't train them. They're horrible. Let David do it. He seems to like it. I mean, he writes music out there. You know, he's a little sensitive. He's, he's, he's not smart enough to know it's not a good job. He's singing all the time. He's like, let's, let's have David do it. And David, that's your full-time job, man. You're doing great. David, you are great. Just be the shepherd out there. And that's how it is. It's such a lowly job. And Jesus came, and he called himself the shepherd. I mean, what would you call yourself that for? It's a lowly job. It's the lowest. Of all the career choices, that's not the one you want. I mean, come on, be the champion. Be the victor. You don't want to be the shepherd. I love this. Jesus said this about himself. Through the scriptures, God is referred to as the shepherd of Israel. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I, I, here's the next thing, I lay down my life for my sheep. I'm just not any shepherd. I'm a good shepherd, and a good shepherd will sacrifice himself for the sheep. And he's not just, he's not Grandpa Jesus He's not a grandpa Jesus. He's not a genie in a bottle Jesus. He's Yahweh Jesus. And he knows you. 
He knows who you are. Time and space have no limitation for him. He holds everything together, and he's our God. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's personal. He's personal. Like he knows me, and I know him. God has come and redeemed his bride. I quote Philip Keller here. A lot of you read his book. It's a shepherd's look at the good shepherd. It's a classic. He's a shepherd himself. He wrote his view of John chapter 10 about Jesus calling himself the good shepherd. He, he wrote it from the perspective of, a, of being a shepherd himself and gave great insight to it. He says, we named our sheep. We had names for them. He said, but they were complex names. All of us sheep herders, whether in Africa, in the Middle East, in Ireland. He, he said, we gave names to our sheep. A lot of them we knew from little baby ewes and our, our children had them and they cuddled them and they gave them names and they fed them and, and they just had a relationship with them. And he said, we give them these complex names like the, the beautiful lamb that I traded for two pots of honey. I mean, that's some name. Hey, beautiful lamb that I traded for two pots of honey, come here. They had names like the, the lamb that was born in the dry riverbank. The lamb that was born in the dry riverbank. You had an identity. Like, I remember you. I remember when you were born. I remember how I got you. I remember that first day. I know you. David. David knew that. Named his sheep and said, the Lord is my shepherd. He named me. My greatest source and our greatest source of comfort and peace is knowing that we belong to Yahweh. We belong to God. And we enjoy a special relationship with him. We are known by him. Belonging to Yahweh, the shepherd, means admitting that I'm a sheep. And that's what we're going to pick up for next week. We're going to have a memory verse right now. I just want to dwell on this, who your God is. I think I've had to reflect on this every day. Like, God, who are you to me? Who are you? Who is this? Who is this one? Is he Yahweh or is he just something that I've reduced him to for my own convenience or my own pride? So here it is. This is you're going to go away and you say, I've never, I don't know the Bible, never read it, but I think I've heard this one. And we're, this is yours for today and you'll take it and we'll bring it back next week. Would you all stand with me, please? We're going to say this together and then we're going to sing to the king. We'll do it twice. Say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. One more time. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He is your Yahweh. And we will sing to him and says, our King of Kings. God. Within the scriptures, we are handed practical, personal instruction that we can apply to our lives. And it is only when we have applied and obeyed the truth that we are transformed by the spirit of the living God. So make today count. Take action. And do let us know how we can help you in your walk to your newness of life.